hurricanes, hailstorms, tornadoes, and wildfires. These are just some of the weather hazards that displace families and disrupt lives. Many of us are familiar with the scenes of devastation these hazards cause, and the recovery process for affected communities can take months, even years. In the most extreme circumstances, some may never be whole again. This may prompt many of you to ask, what's being done to reduce the risks associated with these hazards? To answer this question, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety presents the Disaster Discussions Podcast. Join me, your host, Armand Brody, as I sit down with professionals in the insurance, science, construction, and resiliency industries who will help us explore the intersection of these hazards with the built environment. We'll bring you in-depth conversations with experts from across the country and highlight how science is engineering real-world solutions for home and business owners to create safer, more resilient communities. Join us for these discussions every month. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, go subscribe to the Disaster Discussions podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also invite you to engage with us on social media to ask your questions, share your thoughts, and to learn more about the IBHS mission. From the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, we welcome you to the Disaster Discussions podcast, where we explore the intersection of severe weather and the built environment. I'm your host, Armand Brody. Thank you so much for being with us once again. Hope you've had an opportunity to check out our most recent episode. We sat down with author, professor, and scientist, Dr. Ilan Kelman. Very compelling episode as we talk about what disasters are, what they are not, Really, really intriguing stuff. So I hope by this time you've had an opportunity to check that out, as well as all of our other episodes. We're in season two of the Disaster Discussions podcast, so hopefully you've had an opportunity to uh, go through uh, the first five or six or so episodes of our podcast. And uh, hopefully we've been able to bring you some top-tier science and talk about how that science can lead to real-world action. Thank you so much for your response. You folks have been checking us out. And we are more than appreciative of you finding us here on the Disaster Discussions podcast. Well, you've probably heard the saying, there's no place like home. We here at IBHS believe in that statement, so much so that we've made it our mission to deliver top-tier science with a goal of strengthening homes. But there's a key and perhaps overlooked piece to that mission that we want to explore today. That's the role of those who help get us into those homes, real estate agents. And today's episode focuses on the role realtors play in the mitigation space. How do realtors and appraisers account for mitigation and how are homeowners affected? Well, to help us answer some of these questions, we sit down with real estate broker Scott Wurzbacher. Now, I must confess this as well. Scott is a uh, he's a brother to me in this way. He also hosts his own podcast. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. It's the Inside Campfire podcast. So we'll talk about that as well. Scott, welcome into the Disaster Discussions podcast. It's a privilege to have you here. Well, Armand, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, my goal here is that this podcast episode is not a disaster. <laughs> we don't want that. Let's talk about <laughs> them, not not be them. That, that is, uh, That's right. That is the goal. That today. <laughs> All right, Scott, so we've got a pretty interesting dynamic here with you. You host your own podcast. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but just tell us a little bit more about who you are. What's the Scott Wurzbacher story? 
Yeah, Armand, thank you. Um, so I am, as you said, a real estate broker and team lead um, here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, yeah, I've been helping buyers and sellers to get into homes and get out of homes for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been quite a wild ride and I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today because, uh, I probably have some stories to tell. Yeah. We're going to talk about some of those stories too, but I'm just curious, uh, how, how did you get involved with, with real estate? It's been a long journey for you. Now you've been doing it for quite a while. Uh, how'd you get involved in it? Well, and that's a great question. So for me, real estate is, um, always been, uh, just, the best investment, um, frankly. And, and, um, you know, I'm somebody that's very intrigued with wealth building and personal growth and development, but, but, uh, you know, in terms of wealth building and, and building a financial nest egg and, and a retirement plan, frankly, I find real estate is there's really no better way to grow one's net worth than, and then home ownership and property ownership. And uh, so that's how I got started. Um, 20 years ago, my wife and I started buying investment property. And um, how we got involved in the brokerage space was really, we were doing our own thing, buying and selling properties for ourselves. And it just seemed that getting a real estate license was kind of the next natural step to help us in that um, accumulation of property. And uh, eventually people started to notice what we were doing and asked, hey, can you help me? And so from there, the real estate brokerage was formed and we started to help people to, to do what we were doing um, as a service. And so I still, to this day, 20 years later, believe real estate is the best investment. All of those things that I hoped would come true 20 years ago or you know, over time, starting to see the effects of the compounding effect. And, uh, but also in the process have been able to help many, many people do the same. So, you know, I think, uh, protecting that asset is incredibly important. Now, as we've established, not only are you a real estate broker, but you are a podcast host, you host your own podcast inside campfire and on your podcast, you shed light on ordinary people telling stories of extraordinary adventure. What made you pursue storytelling in this way? Yeah, so Inspire Campfire is really a passion project for me. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, I just, I'm somebody that loves adventure. I'm somebody that loves uh, being in nature. Um, and I guess it was a couple of years ago, you might even say it kind of came to be during the COVID times, but uh, just spending time outdoors and recognizing what happens to me when, out, when I'm outdoors, it's my happy place. And so, you know, as much as uh, I love real estate as an investment, I also love to just be out in nature and to be out in the wild and something happens to me inside. And so, um, you know, after spending some time in the woods, I came to... Uh, this place where I just really wanted to expose other people to that. And um, I find that nature in the outdoors is a way to connect with people, to connect with their hearts. And those kinds of stories allow me to do that. And so Inspire Campfire, while it might not seem connected to real estate, I'm in a service business and it's all about relationships and getting to know people. And so there's a really beautiful integration between um, working with clients to help them build wealth through real estate, um, but also getting to know them and their hopes and their dreams. And so Inspire Campfire has been a great way for me to really get to know people and build relationships and, and hear their stories of adventure. 
this is how nice you are. I said inside campfire, and I think I said it twice, and I know it's inspire, <laughs> and you, <laughs> you're you so got, nice that you didn't we, correct me, we but I got get it. There, Armand. We knew we'd get there. It's okay. <laughs> inspire campfire, not inside campfire. Uh, I promise you it's down here, okay? But uh, speaking of ins- inspire campfire, you recently had our CEO, Roy Wright, on your podcast, so first of all, how did that come about? And secondly, what thoughts of his stood out to you relative to resilience, which is what we'll talk about uh, for the bulk of our uh, the bulk of our time here today? Yeah, absolutely. I had a great conversation with Roy on Inspire Campfire, and you know he shared with me some stories of some early adventures that he had uh, on a trip to Africa, and some some things that happened and transpired on that trip that really touched his heart and helped him to kind of see things a little differently. Um, But, you know, I think you asked me in terms of this conversation, uh, what what really I connected with the most. And I think it's kind of towards it was towards the end of that conversation, because what happened to him on that trip in, in Africa kind of helped him to develop this real desire to help people. Um, and I believe the the name of his episode was No Bad Days, mm-hmm. because uh, you know, what that meant was he's seen so many uh, horrific things that have happened to people. And it made him grateful for the life that he's had and the recognition that there is uh, a lot that happens out in the world. And when a disaster happens, it really, you know, it's it's devastating to people. And so, you know, this is a man that's dedicated his life and his career to helping people through disaster. Um, but part of that conversation from a, an, like an adventure standpoint was, you know, I, as I mentioned with Inspire Campfire, we like to tell stories of adventure, which often involves nature. And so a lot of the conversation that I had with Roy was about this idea of um, protecting, protecting people, protecting property against and from disaster, from nature. And part of that conversation was, you know, can humans stop Mother Nature? And I think one of the things that he said in the podcast that I just loved was Mother Nature always wins. But there are things that we can do to prepare and mitigate. And I think that was I, I mean, it was profound. Yeah, Roy is uh, a very profound speaker, so no surprise. He is. He is. Yes, he is. That was from September. So if you get a chance, folks, listening to our podcast now, swing over to Inspire Campfire, and uh, your podcast is available on all the big uh, streaming sites as well as YouTube. It is. So it's it's audio and video just like ours. So make sure to check out uh, the Inspire Campfire episode with Roy Wright from back in September. Really great stuff. Now, now, because we've talked about Roy and we've talked about uh, his connection with you and his connection with mm-hmm. uh, mitigation and resilience, l- let's explore this a little bit deeper. This is our work here at, at IBHS Resilience. Right. As you know, because you're, you're familiar with us and you've had the conversation with Roy, we do want homes and buildings to be standing after the storm. As you see it, though, from your perspective – as a real estate broker, what is or what should the perspective of realtors be in this space and why does it matter so much? 
Yeah, I mean, I think as a realtor, I mean, I think we see ourselves as kind of the facilitator of the entire home buying experience, if, if I guess, if you will. So, you know, I, by no means am I an expert in the home inspection or the insurance industry, but, you know, our role is to help guide our clients through that process. And so oftentimes, you know, if I'm helping a buyer to find a home, you know, once they've found the home, they've fallen in love. Part of it, part of it for me is to temper their emotion, right? Because a lot of times at home, this is a big investment. You're only going to do this a couple of times in your life. It's very easy to get emotionally attached. And so part of my role is to help them uh, through that process. Once they've negotiated an agreement with the seller, we go through a due diligence period. And during that due diligence period, we're going to we're going to have a home inspection and we're going to make sure they're going to be able to get insurance along with all the other the legalities and getting their financing. But as it relates to resilience, you know, I think probably the most important piece is the home inspection and uh, the, you know, being able to get insurance on the property and doing any kinds of investigations that are related to that. I mean, I guess another example would be as part of our due diligence in valuating a property. Like, for example, we might look and see if a property is in the FEMA 100 year floodplain. Um, and if it is, that might, you know, obviously that's going to play a, a, um, a role in their decision as to whether or not that's going to be a house for them. Um, so there's all kinds of due diligence that we want to do to help keep them out of trouble. And I can I can speak for myself. I'm building a business that's based on relationships. And my hope is that when when one of my clients buys a home, that same person 10 years from now when they're ready to sell is going to call me for help selling. Right. And so I want to make sure that I'm helping them to. Uh, to buy something that's going to work for them and their family and their needs. And when it comes time to resell it, whether, whether it's three years from now, five years, five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever that might be, I want to make sure that we've got a property that we're going to be able to market and sell for them so that they can um, hopefully not only recoup their investment, but you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, be able to capitalize on the wealth that they've built in the process. Scott, you talked about inspection, and that sort of triggers some thoughts for me. Um, how much data is a realtor given on a home? And when I say data, I mean things like uh, the age of the roof, and siding, and those kinds of uh, those kinds of aspects that go along with a home. What do you know? What or what does any realtor know in those areas? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, as a realtor. Um, it's not our home, right? We're providing a service as a listing broker, let's say. There's, so in, in, in my state of North Carolina, we've always got um, two, two main kinds of agents. You have an agent that represents the seller. You have an agent that represents the buyer. Sometimes we have what's called a dual agent where one agent represents both parties, um, but we're trying to keep their, you know, the, their, their interests at heart, right? So if I'm a listing broker, it's my job to meet with the seller and, and talk with them about the property. But the information that the seller gives me is, is what I have to go off of. Now, again, in my state of North Carolina, in our state of North Carolina, um, the seller is required to fill out a disclosure form where they'll go through and they'll, they'll make uh, notes of any issues that they know of with the property. Um, and that's essentially what we have to go off of as a realtor. Um, now, we also have um, previous data. There might be information in the multiple listing service from a previous listing. There might be information listed in the tax records. But, you know, really, 
Uh, and the North Carolina Real Estate Commission is really, really good about educating us on on these kinds of things. The North Carolina Real Estate Commission is uh, essentially the agency that regulates us as realtors. Um, but in, and we do have a duty to uh, you know if investigate and disclose any issues that that are obvious. But for example, I mean, if there's something going on behind a wall, neither a realtor or a home inspector is going to be able to see that. We're not going to open up the wall to be able to see what's back behind there. So we have to use just like kind of reasonable um, care and diligence to be able to uh, discover and disclose any potential issues that we're aware of, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many places we can go based on your responses. And, and I'm trying to sort of pick and choose where to go yeah, with yeah. what, because uh, there's, there are, there are going to be some common themes with the questions that I ask you, but you mentioned MLS multiple listing service. Mm -hmm. What is that? I mean, give me a little bit more as to what that is, what goes into it and how do we get resilient construction to become a part of that process? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, the actual, like, if you want the kind of going back in time, the history of the multiple listing service was, um, before technology, before, before all of that, right. You know, there somebody would have a house that they needed to sell and they would employ a real estate agent to help them promote market and, and find a buyer for that house. Right. Well, over time, uh, what we found out was, is that this real estate broker has a house to sell. This real estate broker has a house to sell. Uh, this one over here might have a buyer. And they realized that if they cooperated, the whole system would work a whole lot more efficiently rather than everybody kind of independently out there doing their thing like the Wild West. And so what happened was the result was this cooperative effort um, called the multiple listing service, where basically uh, as a realtor, I say, hey, if I help you sell your listing, um, I will compensate you. And if you help me sell my listing, you'll compensate me and we'll come up with this agreement. And so the byproduct of that was a database. So everybody thinks that the MLS is a database of properties, which it is, but there's also an underlying agreement between brokers to cooperate, to help each other promote and, and sell one another's um, properties. And so um, this database that developed, you know, it's, it's a constantly growing um, uh, tool. And uh, I mean, here in my, the Charlotte market, we have a great MLS system. It's the, the Canopy uh, multiple listing service. And the folks there at Canopy do a great job of kind of paying attention to what people need. Now, you don't want, you know, so much information that it's going to overwhelm people, but we want to make sure that we have the most accurate information. So that organization, uh, the MLS system, the Canopy MLS here in Charlotte, um, they're the ones that are responsible for determining like what um, fields are available within the database um, to be reported on particular properties. And it's very, very thorough. And that group is constantly removing and adding property depending on or, uh, fields, depending on the time. So like, for example, um, you know, we have some uh, characteristics related to green features of a home. Uh, Energy Star, those kinds of things. Um, those fields didn't exist in our MLS several years ago, but as they've become more and more prevalent, they've been added. So to your question about like resilient features, um, that's something that we would have to get with a multiple listing service to promote those kinds of things um, and, and help that organization to see the value um, to be able to add that 
into the database so that people can can see those features. Now, the last thing I'll say, and this is probably kind of wordy, but for the most part, our multiple listing service database is a pick list. So each field is is generally like a list of options that you can choose from. There are some free format fields. So I would say today, as it relates to the kind of information that we're talking about, if a house does have um, resilient features, most likely the listing broker is going to bring those out in the remarks section. Um, if a field doesn't exist. So you always have that option. If a field doesn't exist to promote features that you want to promote but aren't in the pick list, you can always kind of write it out at, in a descriptive format in a remarks section. Historically, I mean, you've done this for more than two decades. Have you seen change in the kinds of conversations that realtors are having maybe with engineers or those within the construction industry or the, the insurance industry relative to resilience? Have we seen a lot of movement in those spaces? And what more should be or needs to be done so that home buyers are more aware of the issues that we're talking about relative to resilient construction? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a constantly evolving process. Like there, there's no question. I mean, there's always some issue like, you know, every year as brokers, we have to go to continuing education as in so many professions. But the reason why we go to continuing education is we have to find out like what the newest hot button is. Right. So, you know, I mean, things like radon and um, like underground storage tanks and uh, mold and all kinds of different issues that, that might come up with a house. Like some of these things were not even looked at and considered say 20 years ago or even, you know, 10 years ago, but they become like, as the real estate commission sees repeated complaints on these things, they become, they, they, they're drawn to our attention and they're put kind of in front of us through continuing education. Um, and you know, as these issues become more and more prevalent, we start to hear about them more and more. And I think it's then that we start to get more, um, involvement from say like the MLS. But I think like in Charlotte, the resiliency piece, I think you probably, um, see it more in places where there are, um, you know, more active like tornadoes or hurricanes. Like I think the coastal areas would probably be able to speak to this a little bit more. I think if, you know, if you talk about like, um, resilient features, um, protecting a home from a hurricane in Charlotte, North Carolina, most realtors probably aren't even going to have a clue, but I would guess that in, uh, an area like Wilmington, North Carolina or South, you know, along the coastline, I would think that the agents there are a little bit more versed on it. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to put words into their mouth, but I think some of it just depends on, you know, what, what happens in a particular market. Um, but, but as I said, I mean, I think it's just, it happens over time. It's, it's a constant evolution. And as we start to see repeated issues, um, surface, I think the education is just something that naturally follows as a measure to, um, cut down on the number of complaints and issues that arise because of it. What, what kind of complaints and issues rise up, Scott? Can you give me an example or two of something that maybe you've even heard recently, uh, about, uh, the process or about a home that, uh, that stood out to you? Um, I mean, honestly, I think it's usually, um, disputes like the North Carolina real estate commission, when they get, when they get disputes, it's, it's, it's a dispute between a buyer and a seller generally, or, you know, a complaint that somebody has about a real estate agent, or, you know, they've got, they take complaints from consumers, they take complaints from other agents, but they're there to sort of, um, help sort of moderate all that and kind of, and kind of sort things out. But I mean, generally it, it comes down to a dispute 
And then, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a look at like, was there like reasonable, was, was there reasonable care um, exercised in that situation? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it something that somebody reasonably should have known, right? So, you know, I think there's things that we've been educated about over and over and over again. And in those cases, when we've been educated over and over again, like we should know those things. But if it's something that's, that's new and it's not something that comes up a lot, uh, it may not be something that um, is really... Uh, that that we that we could or should have known. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I think the one thing is is that like what what the real estate commission probably sees is complaints between buyers and sellers. But I think what we're talking about here is complaints that we have with Mother Nature, right? And I don't know I don't know if there's a regulatory body that we can call when we have those kinds of complaints. <laughs> Scott, let me ask you this: How often? I mean, there are standard things that home buyers are looking for, right? Everybody talks yeah. about location, 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 yep. how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, all these things, square feet, etc. But how how often is a home buyer asking you about what is the condition of the roof? What's the age of the roof? When rated garage doors, a fortified roof? How often are you getting those kinds of questions? And what needs to happen to help home buyers look more for these things rather than just for looking for the more standard conventional things that we're used to home buyers looking for? Yeah, I, Armand, I think it, I think, again, it comes down to education. I mean, you know, the reality is when people are buying and selling like they're buying a home because they want a safe place to live. They may want the prestige of the neighborhood. Um, but you know, always like, uh, money comes into it, right? Is this, a, is this a good financial investment? And mm -hmm. when we're looking at things like the roof and the age of other kinds of things like the HVAC system, but you know, in the case of resiliency, like the age of the roof matters, but I would, I would tell you from a realtor's perspective, people are generally asking that question more so because they're thinking how much life is left and how soon am I going to have to spend the money? To replace the roof. So I think for most people, something like a roof is more of a financial decision. Um, I would tell you, I mean, I think it's probably just natural. Like I don't want a roof that's going to leak. I don't want water in my living room. I don't want a hurricane to blow the roof off. But I think there's kind of a natural assumption that the roof was uh, installed to code and that, you know, if if it does start to leak, I'm going to recognize, OK, I need to replace it. And at that point, it just becomes a financial decision because you're going to call your favorite roofer to come over, and give you a quote. And, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars later, now I've got a new roof. Um, so I really think that for buyers um, on the resiliency stuff, it comes down to how does it affect my pocketbook? Is it fair to say, Scott, that the more informed the broker is or the realtor is, the more informed the home buyer will be relative to resilience? Is that a fair question to ask? I, I mean, definitely. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, the thing is, is that like that's I mean, yes, I think that's important. I think that's not that's not an area where we're like skilled and trained. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't ever want to misrepresent myself as being an expert in resiliency or insurance. Like for me, it's more about knowing who to call, like, you know, knowing the engineer to call when I when I suspect there might be a structural issue or, or actually not not even me, like the home inspector. Right. So really leaning into the professional. So so your um, your question, I think, really is um, 
you know, I might be informed because I've been doing this for so long and I've seen so many things, but ultimately it's because I've seen a lot of inspection reports. I've met with a lot of engineers. Like I'm kind of a, you know, I, again, I've sort of been like, I'm almost kind of like a project manager, but mm -hmm. it's the, it's the experts that we bring in that are the ones that are really educating our clients. So I think, you know, if there's somebody that could be better, um, bringing this into the mix, it's probably more like the home inspectors, the engineers, um, noting what kinds of resiliency features are, are part of a home. Scott, I'm sure because of how long you've been uh, in the industry that you've got other realtor friends, I would imagine even across the country you do. How do you educate them? How do we educate them? Those who may not have been in it for 22, 23 years as you have, how do we educate them about resilience and about passing the messages on to home buyers so that home buyers are more informed about what they're getting into? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think you're doing it with this podcast. I mean, I think that's I think it's about getting the message out, right? It 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 is about education. So like people are going to find it a couple of different ways. Like number 1, there are people that are curious. There are people that like to learn and they're going to go out looking for that information. And when you put the content out there, whether it's on YouTube or here on your podcast or in a magazine, a trade magazine, like there are people that are interested enough to read that because they just are curious and they that's the way their minds work. Unfortunately, fortunately, however you look at it, like some people aren't that way and they're going to learn through experience. Right. So they're going to learn through some kind of a situation happening um, and they're going to learn the hard way. Like, um, you know, I live in a coastal community and there was a hurricane and the roof blew off and now it's time to replace the roof. Like, am I going to learn this time and put the hurricane straps on? You know, mm -hmm. there's products that would help the house to uh, to, to keep the roof on um, in a storm like. But some of it, I mean, so much of, and this is life, right, Armand? It's not just, it's not just resiliency, but like people go through life, they make mistakes, they learn, and they get better. And I think that's probably how most people learn. I think the thing with real estate agents is a home buyer and a seller might only do one or two real estate transactions in their life, three or four maybe. Real estate agents might be doing, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 a year. So we're in a better position to see this stuff more often. We're in a better position to become educated and then pass that knowledge along to our clients. I want to read you something here, Scott. Uh, this is from a couple of years ago. In Mobile and Baldwin counties, we're talking about Alabama, fortified homes have a 7% higher resale value. How do we get more of that across the country? Yeah, it's awesome. So question, um, is that, I don't want to presume, is that a market that has a higher rate of storms, hurricanes? Yes, it is. Yeah. So I think, again, I think that to me, like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people buy a house, right? They, they, but I mean, certainly safety and certainty are important, right? I, if, like my home is my sanctuary, right? I don't want to feel like if there's a storm outside that when I'm sitting in my house, I'm in danger, right? So when I, I mean, that's going to be important to me if I'm buying a house in, in, on the coast where there's a likelihood of flood, like they raise the houses up for a reason, you know, and property values like houses on the beach that are like low, right? 
that have been there for a long time, like you see the property values plummet. Nobody wants to buy those properties because people are worried that there's going to be a flood and the property is going to, you know, get, get taken away. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it does come down to how, um, in a, in a buyer and a seller's mind, like how safe is this house? How secure is this house? But then also like, what's the impact going to be financially? Right. So, you know, how do we get that mobile Alabama situation all across the country? I mean, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to happen in the places where it's most likely to happen. The storms are most likely to happen. And then you're going to see those things happen like in the news. Right. And then eventually that word is going to spread. I mean, I'm sure that uh, all of the or a great deal of the resiliency products that are made today probably started in these communities where there was a higher rate of storms. But a lot of those things are now spread into communities where maybe the rate of storms isn't quite as high, but we see that those products are valuable. But can we say, Scott, that mitigation efforts do have some kind of impact, some kind of effect on the value of a home? Um, I, so I want to be able to tell you, yes. I, I really do. And I think but I think the reality is, I think that in markets where the, the, the storm possibility is higher, like absolutely. I'm in a market in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's just it's not the first question people are asking here in Charlotte because we don't have a high rate of of natural disasters. And so, I, I mean, I've got to believe that in those markets where natural disasters are more likely to happen, it's hot on people's minds and therefore people are willing to pay for that security and stability. So then talking about market demand, Fortify, for example, took a took a decade to get to where it is yeah. in Alabama. But Fortified is an anchor in the state of Alabama. How do we when we talk about market demand, how do we get that process to take place to where homeowners and those in the industry are creating that market demand and that we see more of the spirit of fortified, if I can use that term, we, we see that expressed more throughout the southeast and more throughout different regions of the country? Yeah, I mean, I think I think neighbors talk to neighbors, right? I mean, I know like if there is there is a cost value relationship right so if i can put hurricane straps on my when i put my next roof on if i can put hurricane straps on my roof to give me that assurance that if there is a big storm that my roof's not going to come off and the cost is such that like it's not going to make that much bigger a difference like it's going to give me great peace of mind to know like hey i've got a solid roof it's not going anywhere and, you know, and then if I do that and, and my neighbor hears that I'm doing that, they might question like, oh, he did this thing over here where he's got a much more solid roof. I want that, too. Right. So, I mean, I think a lot of it is just through like talking about this stuff, communicating and 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 things will continue to get better. I think, you know, I think that's just with everything, whether it's resilience, fortified homes. I mean, anything. It's like the, the keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Like. I, I want to make sure that my roof is as good as my neighbor's next door. I think that that's certainly an important factor. But again, I, the cost and the value relationship has to be there. I'm fascinated by the fact that I've interviewed so many different fields and so many 
different exper experts in different areas of expertise on this podcast. And so much of it comes down to the social science part. So much of it comes down to, well, this is how I feel as a person, right? This is what matters to me. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And I'm just, I just kind of want to set you up for the fact that don't even know if it's really a question, but just the fact that homeowners are willing to pay for mitigation if they see the value. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, if if they see the value, I also think that they want, you know, parents want a, a good um, environment for their family, right? <laughs> you know, I want to I want a safe environment for my home. I want my 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 home to be safe. And if there's any reason why I might think that um, my home is unsafe, like that's something I'm going to pay big money for, right? But if I don't see that need, why am I going to spend the money on something if if the need isn't there? So I've got to be I've got to be educated on the potential outcomes, right? I mean, ultimately, it's like insurance, right? We buy insurance to protect ourselves. Right. Let me ask you this, Scott. Uh, how do we incentivize homeowners? I mean, program like Fortified back in Alabama. We just we just talked about it. Uh, Fortified in Alabama have become as connected as peanut butter and jelly now in some ways. But how do we incentivize homeowners to, to have a program like Fortified and to, to make that investment? What can be done in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's gotta it's gotta hit their pocketbooks somehow. I think, and I, two two things like I mean, at, at the risk of kind of beating a dead horse, like it's I think it's either the the financial side of it or helping them to understand the risk of not having it because you know I mean, and this is the social science that you're talking about. Like we don't know until we know, right? I don't. Mm -hmm. Most people probably don't even know that you can put straps on your roof that are going to protect it from a hurricane. So some of it is like just the knowledge that it's out there. Um, but then also, you know, they're going to weigh that sort of risk reward. And unless they have like a real life story to know, like, Hey, if I don't do that, then that could happen to me. Right. And until it like, until it really hits home and really hits their heart, like you said, with the social science, right. It, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be an uphill battle. Scott, do you find yourself um, do you find yourself having to maybe calm home buyers down because we don't want to scare people into mitigation. We don't want to scare people into resilience, but we do want to tell people the truth. How do we strike that balance and how do you strike that balance specifically as one who is helping people get into homes, but getting into homes with natural hazards and disasters in mind? Stories. Stories, no question. I mean, and like, you know, I think that's one of the funny things about um, having been in the business for a long time. I think when you're a new real estate agent, you don't have those stories that you can draw on, right? But every year as we sell, however many houses we sell in that year, like it's a cumulative process, right? So maybe year one, I sell, you know, you know, 10, 15, 20 houses, and then I add another 20 or 30 the year after that. And then, you know, and it continues to grow, but every single one of those home transactions that I might participate in. There's a buyer and a seller and there's real people and there's real families, right? And stuff comes up and I, you know, I get to witness that. And so like, to me, it's like those stories, right? And so when I'm talking to clients about like, you know, I think this is a great house because of this, this, and this, but you know, I want to make sure to point out these couple of things that I see that, you know, we might want to talk to an expert about because, 
you know, I had a client that went through this, this, and this, and I'm able to kind of tell that story, right? And people can relate to stories. I mean, if I, if I just lay out some facts, it's not going to hit home like the stories are. Is there a story you can share with us, Scott, relative to our conversation here? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think I told you at one point, um, so I've, I've done some real estate investing and I, um, you know, a condo complex um, that I was uh, connected to in the Wilmington area. I mean, a, a hurricane came through and the roof had to get replaced. Um, th thankfully, there wasn't a whole lot of damage, but the roof did have to get replaced as part of it. And um, in that whole process, you know, there's an insurance company that's involved and there's, you know, money that's provided to be able to replace the roof. Um, and I brought to the attention of the folks that were making the decisions that because at that point I knew Roy. Right. And so I was able to, to, to ask them about these hurricane uh, straps. That's why I keep kind of bringing that up in this podcast episode. You know, mm -hmm. down at the beach, this is something that we can do. But. You know, at that point, um, I don't think there was enough awareness of it. I don't know that the contractors necessarily had a familiarity with where they can get them, how to install them, what they were. Uh, I don't think that the decision makers um, that were at, at the homeowners uh, association had really any familiarity with them. And they didn't see the value of, of spending the extra money, even though had we done that, like that roof um, would be fortified. And, and, and I'm all for that, but that's for me, it's because I know Roy Wright and I've heard the stories and I know what can happen. Right. And I've talked to people like you. So I think it's just these one-on-one -on -one conversations that we've got to keep having so that people can become more and more educated. But that's probably from a resiliency standpoint, one of the best, the best examples that I can give. In real estate, it's location, location, location. In resilient, it's education 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 and 100 yeah absolutely and, and we here at ibhs we are dedicated to sharing the science with our members and it's why it's so cool to be a part of a podcast like this and it's why it's so cool to be a part of this conversation with you because uh as as a real estate broker it takes all of us right it takes a village that old that old adage it takes a village to uh to ensure that resilience can take place and that people are uh, in homes that will be able to withstand and be able to stand the test of time and that when storms come, they don't lose everything, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't add anything to that. I mean, I, you're, the education, education, education. I mean, that's exactly right. You know, it's we've got to tell the stories. We've got to educate. And, uh, and that's I think that's the only way that it's going to happen. Scott, I want to uh, as we get ready to wrap up here. Uh, what's next? What's next for you? What's next for the industry relative to resilience and to mitigation? What's going to be happening in the future? What can home buyers be uh, optimistic about relative to making sure that the investment in the home is an investment in resilience? Well, here, I mean, I would tell you this, just having been an investor for 20 years, you know, early on in my career, I read all the books Real estate's a great investment. This is where, you know, there's no better place to invest your money. And uh, and back then it was, you know, it was all conceptual, right? Until you actually start getting into it and living it and seeing for yourself. But, you know, after 20 years of doing this, I can tell you real estate is the best investment out there, right? But 
you do need to protect your investment. I mean, things happen, right? I mean, there's insurance, right? Insurance, thank goodness for insurance. We're very thankful for insurance. And I've had, I've had plenty of situations where we've had to utilize the services and the financial uh, backing of our insurance company to, to, to deal with issues that have come up. Um, but we need to protect our assets um, because ultimately uh, real estate can help us build great wealth. But if we don't protect that wealth, then, you know, you can lose it like that. And so I think um, from a from a standpoint of like what's next and looking into the future, I think real estate is going to continue to be a great asset. We have like uh, inflation that's higher than it's been in, in many, many, many years. Um, real estate keeps up with inflation. That's the, that's the good thing, right? So even though inflation is is causing um, some short term pain in our lives right now, if you're a property owner, your property is keeping up with it. And so again, you got to keep up with the protecting of that um, to get there. But you know, it's it continues to be a great investment. I think that the work that you guys are doing, I think it's like you know, I mean, real estate is just like anything else. I mean, when people when they built homes. A hundred years ago, the the building codes were very different than they are today, and the building mm -hmm. codes are constantly evolving, and the home inspectors are constantly adding new things to what they're looking for, and they've got new technologies. I've there are some uh, I saw recently uh, that a home inspector had some kind of like device where he can do like infrared to see kind of like um, heat spots inside walls to potentially. Uh, uncover issues that maybe the eye can't pick up on. So, you know, I mean, real estate is a huge industry. There's a lot of money getting pumped into it. And that includes technologies to help home to help homeowners and home inspectors. So real estate's a great investment. I mean, the industry is continuing to improve and will continue to improve. Um, but I think, you know, I think the fundamentals of real estate as an investment aren't likely to change. I think it's just the technologies that make the process easier for us to own real estate and protect it. But you have to know those things exist. Scott, one last question for you. How can IBHS come alongside you in your industry? Well, this podcast, first of all, I mean, I think it's, you know, providing content for realtors to be able to share with their clients. I mean, here's a great example. Like, you know, realtors are all about social media right now, right? So if there's little tidbits that uh, that IBS, uh, IBHS can, can provide to us to be able to put on social media to help educate our clients as part of our, um, you know, maybe today it's about, um, you know, this listing that just went up and maybe the next day it's about some community thing. But then maybe there's like a fun fact about things that you can do to fortify your home. So uh, I definitely think that the real estate community can help promote the work that you guys are doing. Um, we just have to have we just need easy access to that information. Education, 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 education. education. <laughs> he is Scott Wurtzbacher, the host of the Inspire Campfire podcast. Yes. And a uh, 20 plus year real estate broker in the Charlotte, North Carolina area and a fantastic guest for us here on the Disaster Discussions podcast. Scott, you are appreciated, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun, Armand. Yes, it was. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks for listening to the Disaster Discussions podcast, an IBHS production. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. 
or watch the podcast on our website at ibhs.org slash disaster discussions podcast and the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety YouTube channel. Connect with us on our social media pages on Twitter at Disaster Safety, Facebook at facebook.com slash disaster safety, and on Instagram at IBHS underscore org. For more great content from IBHS, including ongoing research efforts happening at our facility, episodes of our podcast, and more, visit IBHS.org.